real people in unreal situations. There is a man standing in front of me in my bedroom. My friend has been shot. I'm in the literally inside the river and I'm inside my car. He had told me multiple times that he was going to set himself on fire. If you say my name or try to look at me, I'm going to kill you. And he was just sobbing. He said, Mom, Mom, tell me you're going to be okay. And I jumped on the hood of the car and I held on. And I looked into the garage and he was hanging from the rafters. I had somebody standing on my neck. He's better to me dead. I want him dead. I'm Scott Johnson, and this is What Was That Like? Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey, this is Scott. I know you might be surprised to see what was that like show up in your podcast feed today. New episodes come out on Fridays every two weeks. And today is not one of those new episode Fridays. What I have for you today is a bonus episode because I want to introduce you to another podcast that I think you'll love because I know how much you enjoy hearing people tell their very personal stories. I love those stories myself, which is why I'm subscribed to this show. The podcast is called The Secret Room and it features anonymous guests revealing true stories, stories they've never told before. Sometimes it can be a tragic one, like witnessing the murder of someone you know. Or it might be about having a secret love affair with someone on death row. The variety of stories and topics are endless because everyone has a secret. The host of the show is my friend Ben. And I think he and I are similar in a lot of ways. He's very empathetic as the guests come on the show and talk about these things that are very personal to them. Ben and I talked about this idea and we thought it would be nice to share each other's podcast with our audience. I've only done this once before with another podcast because I have to be 100% sure that the content I bring you is something I know you'll enjoy. The Secret Room definitely meets that requirement. So today, you'll hear Caroline's story. When she was a kid, she accidentally discovered a shocking secret that her dad was keeping. What happened after she confronted him would change her world forever. If you like this episode, I encourage you to find The Secret Room on your favorite podcast app 
and subscribe. I'll see you next week. Hey, what's your secret? When I was 15, I worked at a little cafe nearby that made sandwiches. Oh. Uh, one of the sandwiches was a grilled chicken. So we kept all the chicken breasts marinating in like the crappiest, cheapest Italian dressing <laughs> you can think of. They were all marinating in this dressing in a refrigerated drawer. And then you would just pull up in the drawer and take the tongs and grab one of the chicken breasts and you throw it on the grill. So I knew that my boss was a cheapskate. But I didn't know that he was a sociopath until the day that somebody accidentally spilled the entire drawer of chicken breasts onto the greasy floor. And he made us pick them all up, wash them off, pour in some new Italian dressing, throw the chicken breasts right back in there. It was disgusting and I probably should have called the health department. <laughs>
I had a younger sister and a younger brother. And a lot of the responsibilities that she had taken care of for us as our mom, she just sort of started assigning them to me and shifting them to me. So I was the one suddenly making lunches. And I wouldn't say at that point I was scheduling playdates and that sort of thing, but those things would come in the future. I just took on more and more, you know, cooking and after school supervision to the point where she could kind of just check out. Sounds like a lot of responsibility for a nine-year-old. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. She had gone back to work. So my parents were both out of the house until at least six every night. My dad much more even than that. But when mom would get home, it was wine o'clock. So it wasn't like she got home and she was engaged and we were doing homework. She got home, she poured herself a glass and she shut the door to her bedroom and kind of ignored us. So we got to be very self-sufficient, very good at entertaining ourselves. And as a nine-year-old, did you have a feeling that this was not normal? You know, were you longing for the attention, care and love that you had lost from your mom? Yeah. So this story is going to get kind of sad <laughs> for a minute here. So I have always been sort of hyper responsible and was asking for and wanting more and more responsibility. And it was definitely a case of be careful what you wish for. Gosh, for a person who doesn't love platitudes, I've used three now. <laughs> I can remember laying in bed at night and just thinking to myself, okay, tomorrow I'm going to need nothing. I'm not going to ask my mom any questions. I'm going to just guess what everybody needs and make it happen because I just wanted to maintain peace and tranquility because if I were to question anything or object in any way to something that they had asked me to do. It could be a slap across the face. It could be uh, go to your room. I'm not going to talk to you right now. I mean, it just it changed so abruptly that I thought I had done something to deserve that. Was your dad involved in your life? Uh, on vacation, he was. <laughs> the rest of the time, he was typically working or sleeping. Um, it seemed to me that dad was always at work. When you were nine and you were taking care of your your siblings, that was a, a brother and a sister. Mm -hmm. You know, your dad's working so hard. Was there a lot of money coming in, or you know, what, what was the uh, kind of what was your social status? That's another thing that was really confusing. That you know, my dad was gone all the time. And then my mom went back to work. So I knew that working was about making money, but there never seemed to be enough. And it didn't make sense. I mean, I remember going to Salvation Army to go back to school shopping or going through the, the dollar bin at the supermarket to find things to eat. And when I would make dinner for the kids, a lot of times it was all three of us sharing a single box of macaroni and cheese. So I didn't understand money. I just knew that there just never seemed to be enough of it. Um, you know, I never went hungry or uh, wanted for shoes that fit or anything like that. There, there was always enough to meet our basic needs. But it seems like anytime we asked for something, the answer was we can't afford it. Now, that said, we did occasionally go on vacation and, you know, we would do activities on the weekend. I mean, we weren't stuck out living on a dirt road with no friends or anything. But um, yeah, it just seemed like a, a common answer was we can't afford it. What kind of vacations did you take? 
a lot of years we would all of us drive to Florida, <laughs> which I grew up on the northeast coast. So we're talking a 20 plus hour drive. Oh my gosh. And it was paradise. It was so wonderful. We had our parents full attention and we would sometimes go for kind of a long time. I think the longest time was two weeks because I can remember we were going to be missing school and my teachers made such a big deal about it. And I remember not understanding why missing school was bad because I always got great grades, but we would often miss weeks of school every year. In fact, one year I had a letter sent home that said if I missed a single additional day of school, I would have to repeat the grade regardless of my grades because of truancy, which was sort of mind boggling. But when you're little and you have so many responsibilities, sometimes you wake up and you just don't want to go to school. And if I said, mom, I don't want to go to school today, she never really fought me on that. She would just say, fine. Do you have any idea why they you know, transformed so starkly on vacation? I do. I do. I think part of the obvious reason is they just weren't under as much stress because we were out of our daily lives. But another reason is related to my secret. Okay, which we're getting to soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me what happened one day after school at home when you were alone, as usual. The answer, which is Caroline's secret in a moment. Stay with me. We're back with Caroline's story, and she's about to make the discovery that would change her life. It was a, a very average, normal day. Um, just think any typical Wednesday after school. I'm not sure why I wasn't doing something with friends this day. I can't actually remember what time of year it was, but I know that I was in the house by myself and I got nosy and was poking around in my mom's closet because I had reached my full adult height by the time I was 12. So I would always take her clothes and like try them on, especially like anything fancy or sparkly that she had just as a way to entertain myself until they got home. God forbid she ever caught me. I felt like she would have smacked me, but she never caught me. Good. (laughs) (laughs) So one day I was snooping around in there and I found a VHS cassette tape being very innocent and not having any clue what a videotape hidden in an adult's closet might contain. And in a way, thank goodness, it contained what it did because it could have been worse. I popped it in the VCR and I saw my mom and dad in New York City with two teenagers and they were visiting landmarks and goofing off. And I noticed the timestamp on the tape was two weeks prior. And my parents had been, I didn't know exactly where, but out for a couple of overnights two weeks prior. So I'm I'm putting together the pieces, right? This is my mom and dad. There's these two teenagers. This is when they were out of town. And suddenly the boy, because it was a boy and a girl, mm-hmm. stated his name for the camera. And it was 
the same last name as me, as my family. Hmm. And it just clicked for me. Oh my gosh, I'm related to these kids. And the tape was pretty long. I think it was probably an hour, hour and a half. Um, and they were visiting my aunts and uncles. And the girl was, she must have been about 16 because she was getting driving lessons with my dad around my grandfather's neighborhood. And I went, oh my gosh, this is my brother and sister. How can this be? I, I don't know how this could be, but that has to be what I'm looking at. So you must be asking yourself, how is it possible my parents have two other children mm -hmm. and where are they living? Right. Where did these fantasy children that popped up two weeks ago, where are they the rest of the time? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was very confused. And I think it's worth mentioning that this was sort of the heyday of talk shows like Jenny Jones. And I would watch those <laughs> after school. So right. I was kind of like, oh, my gosh, it's my own Maury Povich episode. <laughs> I was kind of like, this is exciting. So you can go on Jerry Springer. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? And here you are on The Secret oh. Room. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I guess it worked out. <laughs> I guess so. It's my claim to fame. Oh, my here. gosh. How many times did you watch the tape? At that moment. Just just one. So I was really afraid. Like I was a straight and narrow rule follower. So keeping in mind what I've already told you, it would make sense, right? I never wanted to break any rules and get caught because I knew that was going to mean a, a smack. So I put the tape back exactly where I'd found it, tucked it away and sort of made my plans for what I was going to do next. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. I mean, if that happened to me, my heart would be racing. I'd be questioning everything I knew about myself and my mom and my dad and try to find holes in my life that could explain what I've seen. That's all true. But I think I probably was calmer than the average 12-year-old just because my world had already shifted so dramatically once before that I felt like... You couldn't trust the earth under your own feet anyway. Wow. Okay. So, so you're creating a plan. You're going to talk to mom about it because dad's probably not around. Yeah. So I didn't know when the next time I would see dad would be. And I just didn't really have that kind of relationship with my dad where I would confide anything in him. So I only would have asked my mom even had he been available so she gets home from work and I knew not to confront mom before she had changed out of her uniform and poured that first glass. Like that was chiseled in a stone tablet in my mind. But I just, w this was too juicy. I couldn't wait. Seriously. <laughs> she was about to go in her bedroom. <laughs> Can't imagine. Oh my gosh. So she's about to go in her bedroom, right? She's got her nursing uniform on. She's basically trying to wave me out of her face. And I said, why didn't you ever tell me I had an older brother and sister? Boom. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. <sighs> wow. And she must have just looked at you like, how on earth does this child have this information? So she turns to me and I remember her eyes narrowed like a predator and she goes, what did you just say to me? Oh, my God. And I kind of reared back like, you've kept this secret and you're angry at me because you got found out. Like, how are you the one being self-righteous right now? 
And she said, I don't know what you're talking about. You need to talk to your dad. I don't have any more information than that for you. And she slammed her door in my face. Oh, my God. Well, you've got some hot spell. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, now my heart's beating fast. <laughs> I'm sure it is. So mom's locked behind the door like usual. But now mm-hmm. you've got this thing hanging in the air like and it's like huge. It's huge. Mm-hmm. So I hit the road. I got on my bike and I pedaled like mad. Like I was going to California on that bike (laughs) because I thought for sure I'm in trouble. That was not the reaction I expected. I expected, if anything, how do you know this? You know, something along the lines of, let me sit down and explain some things to you. Or I didn't expect a door to be slammed in my face. I hadn't done anything wrong. Well, snooping, I guess, isn't very honest. But, you know, I was 12. I was the kid. She was the grown up. And clearly she knew exactly what you were talking about. A hundred percent. And that was the part that had me the most freaked out is I then was trying to like race through my mind Rolodex. Like what could be a logical reason that me figuring out that I have an older brother and sister would get me in trouble? Hmm. Okay. Going to ponder that one. And the only thing that made any sense was she figured out I was snooping. But I still didn't think that her reaction was in proportion to what had happened. Yeah. I mean, her reaction was just like way over the top. Well, and usually I knew why when I was in trouble, <laughs> I had done something to provoke it. Even if it was something minor that I shouldn't have necessarily been punished for, I knew what it was about. But I just had more questions at that point. So you're on your bike, right? You're pedaling. Where are you going to? Oh, gosh, I didn't really have a destination in mind, but I had to hide because I didn't know what she was going to do. Like the the one thing I couldn't handle in my world at that point in time was unpredictability. I needed to know who was going to do what so I could prepare for it at all times. And I had thought going into this that I had the upper hand because I found out her secret. And then she turned that table on me so quickly. And I just... I I couldn't make sense of it. It just, there was no logical explanation for her reaction. What can I say? When I plan a week of meals, I like to have some variety. And with hundreds of meals to choose from, CookUnity has that part covered. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. Not too long ago, I tried the cauliflower and chickpea coconut curry. I love curry anyway, but even if you're not normally a fan, you should try this one. It's one of the dishes prepared by Chef Michelle Bernstein here in Florida. She has a couple of restaurants here, and she's also a judge on the TV show Chopped, so you may have already seen her. But aside from the taste, it's the convenience. Because let's face it, even if I knew how to cook, I don't have time. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when mealtime rolls around, I pick out what I feel like eating, and within just a few minutes, it's ready. No prep and no cleanup. And when I say variety, I'm talking over 350 different meals from dozens of chefs. You can decide based on a chef you like or protein content or just what you prefer. The menus are updated weekly, so there's always something new. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. We took it all. 
We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. So you were just heading for the golf course, you know, or or wherever? Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to pitch my tent on the green and sell my golf balls, and that's going to be my life now. Must have felt a little bit like your world was crumbling. I mean, I know you felt a seismic shift already, but here's another one. All of a sudden, a kid who likes certainty, who wants to be prepared for what's next, suddenly has no idea what's next and doesn't really have a way to figure that out because you've already tried the only avenue you have, except for talking to your dad, which is not really the hugest option. Is that what you're planning to do next? I initially had just this profound sense of disassociation, like this isn't real life. Nothing is real. Like I'm experiencing a dream right now. Like I I couldn't comprehend what to do next. When I got home later that night, I mean, it was past dark and I fully expected to get reamed for being home late because you came home when the street lamps came on. That's when you were due home. And my dad was there. He said, hey, can I talk to you? What was I going to do? Be like, nah, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, but you had this burning question. I mean, if I understand the kid you were to some degree, it's on the tip of your tongue, ready to ask your dad. So here's an opportunity. Um, Am I wrong? I think I was so apprehensive after the reaction I got from my mom, which I thought I had predicted would be safe, that I just, I didn't know what to expect. So... Um, I allowed myself to kind of be led by him um, without trying to prepare myself because there was nothing I could prepare for. I had no concept of how this was going to go. Or maybe I had gotten it wrong. Maybe these weren't siblings and I made an assumption, you know, that was that possible. It's all the same, same afternoon, right? This is happening so fast. So he sits me down. We used to always sit on the, um, the covered porch when we were having chats when, well, I should say when we had chats, which wasn't often, but that's, that was the spot. He said, would it be okay with you? Which like my heart is beating fast. Just saying that, that as a sentence right now, because my dad never asked my permission for anything. So would it be okay with you to go on a daddy daughter date this weekend? And I was like, I guess if I have to, like, I, you know what we're doing out here and you want me to wait till the weekend? Like, that's days. But I mean, what was I going to do? I, it's it's my dad. I don't have leverage. I had nothing to negotiate with. Okay. Well, at least, you know, at this point, you're going to get the truth or you're going to get some information because that sounds pretty heavy. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, and I didn't know at this time if we were going to have a chat about snooping (laughs) or what I had found. Okay. So you've got days until the daddy-daughter date. Mm -hmm. What is going on in your mind? Are Are you thinking back, you know, going over memories? The thing that I remember most trying to fit together was a timeline. Okay. Because when I was born, my mom was newly 18 years old. 
and my dad was 23. They were really young when I was born. Yeah. So my thought was, when in the heck did you have time to go have two other kids? Did you adopt some children and like not have them live with us? Like, how did this happen? Yeah. And were they about your age or how old were they? No, they were teenagers for sure. And I was 12. So they're older. Uh huh. Yeah. So I knew they were older than me. Hmm. So I was the oldest of my known siblings. So I couldn't conceive of how this was possible. Yeah. How an 18 year old could have children, one of whom looked to be three to five years older than me, the older of the two. What did something really horrible happen to her as a child? Like, I don't understand how there could be mathematically an explanation for this. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like the kids figuring out their age, were they born before or after your parents got together? Before. Before. Okay. So mm -hmm. maybe your mom had kids with somebody else and your father adopted them. Maybe. Okay. That's one theory. Mm -hmm. That's the best one I can come up with. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, not not a whole lot of uh, sensical options here. So I was very curious what this daddy-daughter date was going to reveal. Yeah, me too. All right. So, okay, so you've been going over the timeline. You come up with a lot of different options, but nothing really makes sense. The only thing that kind of made sense was the adoption idea. But one thing really nagged at me, and that was that... My dad has piercing blue eyes, like really deep blue eyes. And it was always a sore spot for my parents that none of us were born with blue eyes like his. And both the kids in the videotape had piercing blue eyes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So the mystery deepens. Mm -hmm. And during this waiting period... How are mom and dad acting around the house? Is it just business as usual or are they tiptoeing around the subject, you know, and being weird? So they had said to me that they didn't want me to talk to anybody, especially not my siblings, until after I had a chance to have my date with dad. Okay. Did you honor that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They said that once that happened, that we could tell people, <laughs> I guess. Um, but it, they were very clear with me, you know, don't tell your friends, don't talk to your siblings about this. This is something we need to talk to you about privately before you share it. Caroline's about to learn a lot and she knows it. We're back with dad's revelation next. And we're back for Revelations in the final chapter of They Knew. Wow, this is really interesting. So they know the cat is out of the bag. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what I would have said anyway, because I didn't know anything yet. You know, all I would have had to say at that point was I found this mysterious videotape. I don't understand what I saw. Can you brainstorm ideas with me, I guess? Um, you know, there wasn't really anything to tell yet. Right. Okay. That is so true. 
Well, for whatever reason, you're in this holding pattern. So days go by, everybody's acting just normal around the house. I don't remember anything being different than normal other than dad having been home from work that night, which was weird. Yeah, she probably called him and said, uh, we got a situation. She paged him 911. <laughs> right. Get your butt home from work. Yeah. <laughs> Must come home. You, this is your mess. You clean it up. A hundred percent. Right. Yes. Okay. So daddy, daughter, dinner date, evening rolls around. Mm-hmm. Right. You get ready. Where do you guys go? Oh my gosh. So this night is chiseled in my memory. I can remember what I ordered, what I wore, what we said, what I, I, like minute by minute. It just it, so clear to me. Well, what did you wear? <laughs> I dressed up very, very elegantly for the occasion because this was a very special event. So I wore a special dress and, you know, tights and a necklace, you know, my finest wares that I could come up with. And we went to the ground round, which I don't think those are around anymore. It's a chain, kind of like a TGI Fridays, I guess. But this was a big deal too, Ben. It's not like I went out to dinner much at all and certainly never alone with my dad and i remember just trying to be so grown up like crossing my legs and trying to use my fork and knife like i had seen in movies and just trying to talk very slow and measured like i thought a grown up would like i'm not freaked out i'm totally cool with this whatever you have to say is fine and just trying to be like this cool cat so he wouldn't be afraid to tell me as much information as possible such anxiety oh my god yes mm. yes it well <laughs> and i'm sure that's partly why the memory is so heightened too because of that anxiety but gosh i wanted to know right so yeah so do i <laughs> <laughs> so, I couldn't wait one more second. <laughs> so you're at dinner. You know, did you just wait for him to bring it up? Yes. And it was excruciating because I'm like trying to make small talk. Like, mm -hmm. oh, dad, how's work? You know, yeah. yeah, school's great. The math test was fine. Right. Thinking all like, just get to the good stuff. Let's have dessert first. Come on. Right. You know, at what point in the meal did he decide to broach the topic? I know we at least had our entrees and had started to eat because I can remember it sitting in front of me and then turning into a stone in yeah. my belly. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he pulls out a photo album and he starts flipping through and it's pictures of these same kids that were in the video and pictures of them with my relatives. And he starts to tell me a story. Okay, I'm ready. And he said, <laughs> he says, before dad was married to your mom. Dad him. Dad him. Yeah, he was talking in third person. Yeah, okay. All right, okay. I was married to another lady and we had two kids together and this is them and these are their names and they're 14 and 16. Oh my God. And basically, like, what questions do you have? Wow. Okay. My first question is, how old were uh, your parents when they married? So my mom, when they got married, was 17 and he was 22. Okay. So this happened when he was about 19 at the, mm -hmm. at the oldest. Yes. Wow. 
Okay, so what on earth was young Caroline's first question to dad? Are you still married to that lady? Good question. Okay. (laughs) Where are they? Right. Why didn't you tell us? And maybe most importantly, why didn't you feel like you could tell us? You know, what was it that made you think you had to keep it a secret? Because I imagine, dad, this is me talking to him, that was probably a really hard secret to keep. Yeah. I've got a question too. Like, why was your mom tagging along in the video and not the kid's mom? Oh, gosh. There's so much more, Ben. We're like not even halfway done. (laughs) Okay. All right. So let's answer your questions first. So what did he say? This part's not super clear to me. And at the time, I was too much in shock to clarify. But when he met my mom, he was still married to this other lady. She had some kind of emotional breakdown. This is his words, not mine. I would phrase it differently. And he met my mom and she was like a safe harbor in the storm for him. And they fell in love. And so they got married. I don't know if he was ever divorced from the first wife till this day. I still don't know that. I mean, I think you have to be, don't you? I don't know, because this is like the early 80s and were there there weren't computers like you couldn't do a google search and say does this person have a marriage with some other person i don't know okay so okay so we we just don't know the answer Uh uh-uh. no and he said they live across the country and one of the reasons why dad has to work so much is because dad has to pay for two families wow okay so are the kids living with their mom she had an emotional breakdown of some sort, but is she a fit, fit parent? <laughs> they did live with her, yes. And that okay. All right. that is uh, an interesting question that I think we'll probably end up getting more into details a little bit later in the story because that will come up. This is the like the early 90s, so it wasn't uncommon for moms to always get custody at that point in time. And I don't think he really wanted it. My dad didn't seem too interested in parenting us. Why would it be any different with these other kids? I'm thinking now maybe he wasn't too interested in parenting you guys because he's busy parenting the others. He's busy working. He's busy traveling across the country. I mean, we got some things falling into place here and he's just exhausted. This explains the lack of money, too. Uh, Oh, totally. And it, it leads into the next logical question, right? Which is, do they know about us? Right. And that's the part that really blew my mind. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Let me guess. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Because, okay, I would say the answer is no, they don't. But if you say it blew your mind, then they do know about you. They knew the whole time. Holy cow. This makes no sense. So you have to imagine you're a kid growing up with a potentially unstable single parent, another parent who lives across the country with a whole new family that he started without you, and he doesn't see you but a few times every few years, maybe. What do you got to be thinking if you're that kid knowing this whole other family exists and they couldn't have known we weren't getting a whole lot of them either. We're certainly getting more than they were. Hmm. 
okay, so this is really weird. Mm-hmm. State the obvious, but if they were divorced, then mm-hmm. you know everything can be on the table, right? It's like okay, we had these two kids, we're divorced. I'm going and you know I'm in love with this other woman. I married her. I have kids, and everybody knows what's going on. But why the reason for all the secrecy? So I'm going to circle back to something that we talked about earlier, which was the vacations to Florida and my parents being much more involved and relaxed. Okay. So this makes me feel really, really bad for those other kids because this was not fair and not okay. So I found out not until I was an adult, this wasn't part of our daddy-daughter conversation and it wouldn't have been appropriate at the time. Um, but we moved 27 times by the time I turned 14. That's just not possible. I mean, I believe you. <laughs> it is possible. And it was so weird because we would sell everything, move to a new place and buy all new stuff. And it was like, well, we never have enough money. We can't afford anything. Why are we buying all new stuff every time we move? And moving's expensive. Like, I wouldn't have known that at the time, but holy cow. I mean, that's where the money was going to. Yeah. What on earth could be the reason for moving 27 times? Is he on the run? We would leave in the middle of the night. So my parents would wake us up after a garage sale. Like, I knew this was coming after a while, right? When we were having a garage sale, mom and dad are going to wake you up in the middle of the night in the next few nights. So they'd wake us up, they'd pile us into the car, and we would leave that house. So you never really got too attached to a place that you lived because you didn't know how long you were going to be there. It could be a year. It could be a couple months. So dad was on the run for child support. Oh, interesting. And his ex was trying to pursue him. And every time she found him, we would move. (laughs) But... Doesn't she see him when he drags his butt across the country to make videotapes with his kids? Yeah, but seeing him and shaking him down for his paycheck are two different things. What are you going to do if he's in front of you? You can't smack him and coins fall out. And maybe she was grateful just to have him there. Maybe she thought he would stay that time. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. So how did he get word that family court had caught up with him? I mean, imagine that he got mail to that effect. Or So here's another weird thing that I remember growing up that didn't make sense until this all kind of clicked together. We would be given passwords. The kids, when I say we, we the kids, would be given passwords. And when somebody would call the house, you were supposed to say, what's the password? And if they didn't know the password, you'd hang up and tell mom and dad that somebody called and they didn't know the password. Again, it was just a normal part of our household that I thought everybody had passwords when they answered their phone. That if somebody didn't know the password, that they might be part of this pursuit of child support that was being made. One time in preschool, and I'm 
little, little at this point, preschool, right? So three, four years old. I remember my mom didn't come to pick me up. And my friend's mom said, oh, honey, I'll just take you home. And I asked her what was the password. And she said, what are you talking about? What password? And like my my friend's right there. She's like, yeah, this is my mom. But she didn't know the password. So I'm thinking this lady is abducting me. So I'm screaming and crying and throwing a huge fit thinking like I'm being taken. And we get home and it's just my friend's mom. But I know, I know. Poor mom. Um, But like, that's how serious the password was. Huh. I guess the lack of money, though, is not explained by the second family because he's busy shirking that responsibility. So what I think was probably happening was he was making illegal, non-taxable income. So another thing I found out, and this, again, wasn't when I was 12. This was years and years later as an adult, was my dad had a horrible cocaine problem. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So I imagine a lot of the money was going towards that. And that was possibly a contributing factor to the sudden shift that my mom experienced because that I know happened years into their marriage where like they used to do it together and then she didn't want to anymore. And then he got more and more into it and he'd be awake for like four or five days at a time. I remember her telling me one time she came downstairs and she was hugely pregnant with my youngest brother and it was like four in the morning and she came downstairs and he was just like doing, I'm, I'm not sure if it's called a hit. I I don't know the lingo, but we'll call it hit after hit after hit. And there was just tissues all over the floor and he'd been doing it for like three days and she'd been keeping me and my sister upstairs to shield us from it. And she was like, basically knock this off or get out. I, I told you this story has a lot of tangents. I think to tie that money piece up with a bow, that had a lot to do with it. So I think he was doing illegal things. I think he had non-taxable income he was trying to hide. And then he was being pursued by this first wife. Okay. Uh, were there any other revelations at dinner? I remember him saying that the reason he didn't tell us was he never wanted us to think that he loved us less. And I said, Dad, I don't think that. I think you love them less. Mm -hmm. Why did you think that? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you live with us and you're here with us. You're not there with them. And he said, well, I visit them. And I said, yeah, but Dad, that's not the same as having a dad. You know, I, I know you work a lot and you're not home as much as you'd like to be, but like you left them behind. I mean, even at 12, I could understand how profoundly that would impact the psyche of a child and to know that we existed and that he chose to be with us. Like, oh gosh, what a knife through the heart. And both of them have had so many problems. And I'm not saying that you could draw necessarily a straight line to this based on those problems, but I'm certain that it contributed to some of the lack of stability in their lives. And then the other thing was, why didn't you feel like you could tell us? And he said, you know, I was always kind of waiting for the right moment and it just never came. There never was a reason to tell you before now. Oh, there was always a reason. Everything happens for a reason, right, Ben? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Right. You've got this whole new world opened up to you at the ground round. Mm Mm-hmm. 
What was your reaction? What were you feeling inside? What did you say to him? He wasn't my favorite person going into that dinner. And I feel like I lost even more love for him coming out of it. And I remember one crying spell just saying, what kind of person could do this? Like, what else have you done that you didn't tell us that is going to impact our lives? There has to be more secrets. This can't be the only one. Mm, Very insightful. Yeah. Well, if you're hiding something that big, what thousands of little things are you hiding? So this truth is laid out for you. You head home and now it's time to face your mom. She's going to know that you know everything when you come back home. And it's time to face your siblings. What's the conversation at home? So they sat us down and told the three of us together what he had already told me. I think they probably edited a bit because they were littler than I was. And we were all so excited. We were like, we want to meet them. You know, when can we visit? Like, this was the coolest thing we thought had ever happened. We were just like, wow, like we have a big brother and sister. And I'm thinking, gosh, maybe I don't have to cook dinner every night, right? Maybe somebody can help me out with this. And when you're a small kid and you haven't really done much traveling, I don't think the concept of distance makes as much sense. So like we didn't understand that you had to like get on a plane to go to where they lived. It wasn't a place you could just drive to and they weren't visiting regularly. But we really wanted to connect with them. We were really excited about them. So my dad said that he'd set up a call and it was actually really sad because the older kid, the girl, didn't want to meet us. She said, nope, I don't want anything to do with them. You are the cause of everything that's bad in my life. She at that time had a lot of pain in her heart and I can understand that. Um, And I, to this day, have never met her. I'm almost 40 years old now, and I've never met her. She actually did go to a family reunion. I think it was two years ago, but I was overseas for work at the time, so I wasn't able to go. So my younger siblings have met her, but I have not. Have you spoken to her? I guess probably once or twice on the phone, but like we're not connected on social media. She's very religious and she's got a lot of kids and she lives on some kind of like compound out in Colorado and her husband went to prison for something fraud related. I don't really know all the details, but she leads a very private life. We did talk to the boy and he said he wanted to come visit. And that's where I feel like the second half really starts. Okay. So when did you finally get to meet your half-brother? So he ended up coming for a visit the next summer. So it was a few months later and he was staying for a while. It was summer break, so he didn't have to be at school. And I think his mom was probably really happy to have him gone because he was a major troublemaker. I remember the very first night that we were home without parents. And I I can't remember if they were out or if they just hadn't gotten home yet, but he sprayed his skateboard with body spray and set it on fire and took off down the street. (laughs) I just remember being so appalled. Like, who would do that? What is wrong with you? That is so twisted. Troubled kid. Yeah. And how would you even think to do that? It was just so weird to me. We were all so well behaved and he was such a hooligan. One year he showed up and he had a hugely pregnant girlfriend with him. Oh, gosh. Yeah. 
they were so into drugs that my parents wouldn't allow them to stay with us. I, they ended up staying in a rent by the day motel um, in another town because they were just such, they were so ill behaved. But wherever he went, trouble followed. So when your father originally told you about his other family, you and your brother and sister had an initial reaction that was like, wow, this is great. You know, we want to meet our new brother and sister. You had feelings that you'd get some help around the house and this was going to be a cool thing. But all that's washed away now because you've got an older half-brother that is just a mess and and creating even more chaos in your family. Yeah, it it wasn't great, the experience of meeting him. Oh, gosh. So at this point, you're probably wishing none of this had ever happened. <laughs> I wish a lot of things had gone differently. <laughs> um, yeah. Let me let me think about this. So, All right. oh my gosh, you want to hear such a scary story? You don't have to include this in the podcast, but it's very juicy. We can include it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I guess so. <laughs> so we moved into the creepiest duplex. My mom, my brother, my sister, and me. And I mean, it was what my mom could afford. She made like... $12 and 50 cents an hour and was raising three kids with a person who was historically known for avoiding child support. So this was like the haunted mansion at Disney World. It was horrible. There was really no reason to go into the basement other than that's where the laundry room was. So only my mom would ever go down there. But you just always got this super creepy feeling down there. Like basements are creepy in general. But this basement, it was like cobweb spider creep city. Okay. And we found out, thank God it was after we left and we only were there for maybe three months, that a woman had been murdered, chopped up and hidden what? in the walls of that basement. Good Lord. And that's why it was so cheap to rent. Oh, my God. They didn't disclose that when you rented it. She didn't know because the owner of the, the duplex was our next door neighbor, who was this creepy old man who had this crush on her and took sympathy on her situation and actually let her stay there really, really cheaply, like more cheaply than murder house would normally be. Oh, my God. How did you find this out? <laughs> so she told us after we moved out because we were we were like, Ma, we left like a really nice neighborhood and a really cozy house. I mean, comparatively speaking, and went and lived in that shithole. Like, how did that happen? How, like, how did we fall so fast? How come we had to leave when there was four of us and dad got to stay in the nice house? And that's when she told us like, Mom doesn't make a lot of money. Dad wouldn't pay child support. That was the only place we could afford to live. And this is why it was so cheap. So now you're, you and your brother and sister are living with mom and she's getting divorced from dad. Mm -hmm. What's next? Oh, so it just gets sadder. <laughs> There's no silver lining here. We moved to the state where the older brother and sister lived cross country because that's where mom had grown up. So she moved in with her sister and then she spent six months laying in her bedroom with the door shut and the lights turned off, having a complete nervous breakdown. She didn't work. She didn't eat. She didn't leave that room. We didn't see her. We weren't welcome to come in. And the only thing that lifted her out of that fog was the boyfriend that she had told me about paid for her to buy a car 
and move back to where we had left back on the East Coast. We moved in with him and he was a stranger. But I know one thing about this that was really especially like piercing was when we got on that airplane to move, it's the one and only time in my whole life, even with all this trauma, that I ever saw my dad cry. Oh, because you were leaving? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And I remember that really impacting my feelings because I was like, he is sad about this. He does love us. He doesn't want us to leave. And I didn't know everything that was behind those tears. You know, I didn't know, understand the dynamics of their relationship well enough to understand the loss he was feeling there. But I didn't think my dad would really be that hurt that we left because he didn't spend all that much time around us anyhow. But he was brokenhearted that day. But now he's going to live alone. So it's a new chapter. Mm-hmm. And your mom's moved across the country and she's she's got custody. So the way this happened was really strange, too. We we'd had a sleepover, my siblings and I like we're, we were all able to invite somebody, which was a really big deal. And I remember that being really excited for this sleepover and staying up and watching movies and it just being such a great time. And we woke up the next morning and usually when we had sleepovers, that was like when mom would put on her polish and make breakfast and make it seem like everything was so wonderful. So it was always a really good time because it was like, oh, old mom's back. So like having a sleepover was great because it meant, you know, she was going to make strawberry pancakes and I wasn't going to have to do the dishes. And it was just a great time. But we woke up and dad was gone. She was already drunk at like nine in the morning. She wouldn't get off the phone and she was just crying and chain smoking in the kitchen. And we're like, where is dad? Like, it's a Saturday morning. He's usually asleep. I mean, he's home, but he, you know, he's not gone, but he was gone. And like his side of the closet was empty and it was Saturday. Like, where is dad? And she wouldn't tell us anything. And that was... I guess the beginning of the end. Um, So he had moved out after they had had a rip roaring physical altercation. The police had been called. She had been running down the street barefoot screaming for help. I mean, it was very dramatic. And we were like, how did we not hear any of this? Like we had a party and didn't notice any of this. Like we were all just quarantined upstairs enjoying ourselves. I mean, in a way, thank goodness we didn't see it, but I don't know how what I was told happened could have happened. And we just had no concept of it whatsoever. So my mom had to get this car that her boyfriend had helped her buy back across the country. So she decided that she was going to fly me and my youngest brother standby and take my middle sibling, my sister, with her and drive cross-country. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I really wish I had happier yeah, stories. This okay. is so awful. So I don't know if flying standby still works the same way, but we were told it was possible we could be put on two separate flights. And he's little. I mean, he's like six or seven, and I'm in charge of him at this big international airport. And they're telling me we could be separated. They wouldn't feed us on the plane. It was a six-hour plane ride. They wouldn't give us any food. And we're like these two kids by ourselves. I was like, are you kidding? You're not going to give us some friggin' Cheerios? Like, where is the compassion in this world? Like, I hate this world. Everything sucks. (laughs) So we get to the airport, and we, we landed in Newark, which is like a city unto itself. Sure. It's enormous. You've done a ton of traveling, so you know. Yeah. 
And my dad was not at the gate to pick us up. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm like newly 13. I've got my little brother with me. We haven't eaten anything. I have no money. It's not like there was cell phones. I'm like, what? The th- like, what the fuck do I do? I like, so I just like, I'm on my own now. This is life. Okay. And let me figure this puzzle out now. Nothing's ever easy. There was this red telephone on the wall and it said, you know, pick up for assistance. And I'm like, okay, well, let me go pick up that red telephone. And I guess if an alarm goes off, an alarm goes off, but maybe somebody will feed us. So all it did was give me the ability to have him, my dad, paged. Like they could, they wouldn't call him. Um, it wouldn't have done any good anyway. I mean, if he, they call him at home, he's, we lived like four or five hours away from this airport. So hopefully he's not at home. Right. So we just sat there waiting for hours, starving, wondering if our dad, who we hadn't seen in six months, mind you, was going to show up to pick us up. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. Can't imagine what you were feeling. Just abandoned, lonely, probably petrified that he wasn't coming. Petrified is the perfect word. I was like, okay, I, you know, I'm like planning my life now. I'm, I'm going to have to get a job. I'm going to have to mm-hmm. get an apartment. Right. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to react to this situation. I'm just going to have to take care of it as usual is what I was thinking. Like I was at the point where my little brother was like screaming because he was so hungry. I'm like, do maybe I should just ask somebody for five bucks so I can buy this kid a slice of pizza. So he finally shows up. He takes us to Chili's. Again, these memories are so vivid. Like, what a stupid detail to remember. And he's just like shooting the shit like it's a normal day. Like, how's it going? How has school been? And I'm like, how has school been? Like, where have you been? What are you talking about? Where were you? How dare you show up six hours late to pick up your kids at the airport? Like, you... It's unconscionable. You fucking piece of shit. Like, I... I hate like I at this point, my compassion and patience and understanding for his pain had run out. And then he takes us home to the house that we had grown to known as home. We lived there, I think, for two years, which was the longest we had lived anywhere. And it was destroyed. I don't think he had done a dish or scrubbed a counter in the entire six months we were gone. I hope that wasn't your job to clean. So the next day I woke up and he said, all right, I'm off to work. I expect this place to be spick and span when I get home. And if it's not, you'll do it again. Did you expect that was going to be your job? No, no, no. And all I thought was, oh, my God, I just have to survive until mom gets here. The person who I was expecting to save me was the person who had just spent six months in bed dying of absolute horrible life-altering depression that was my saving grace and uh like he was so particular about how he wanted things cleaned like when you would do the dishes he would touch them when they were drying and if they weren't still hot he'd throw them back in the sink and say do it again how long did it take your mom to get there she drove like a bat out of hell because all that mattered to her at that point was her boyfriend and getting back to him so i think she did the drive in two and a half or three days, but she didn't pick us up because she didn't have anywhere to take us. So she dropped my sister off in this hellhole where me and my little brother had been staying and she took off with her boyfriend. 
So that was maybe a week or 10 days. And then she came and picked us up and said, we're going to be moving in with my boyfriend. And this was like the first exciting thing that happened because she drove us to his house, which was a couple towns over. And it was the biggest, most amazing like mansion I had ever seen. Like I had never been inside a house this big in my real life ever. It was like something out of the movies. And I was like, we get to live here. I get to have my own room to my very own self. Like, what? Things are looking up. Yeah, like maybe this ain't going to be so bad is what I was thinking. It turned out, I mean, I'll just cut to the chase here. It turned out to be a really great thing. He was actually a really great stabilizing force in all of our lives. And I call him dad now. I have a relationship with my real dad as well. It's different, but um, she's now married to him. It's her husband now. And um, he turned out to be a really good dude. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he had two kids of his own. So we got two new siblings and they were really cool. They were about our same age and they were, you know, their parents were going through the same things that ours were. So it was almost like we had this built in support system right off the bat, just moving into his awesome, giant, amazing big house. So he had a secret family also? (laughs) No, he had a regular (laughs) first family. (laughs) So not quite the same things, but there there was a divorce. No, no. Okay. Yes. Yes. Well, so there is there is a happy ending to this story. I think so. Yeah, I think it's a story of resiliency and not losing hope and also self-sufficiency and, and being able to advocate for yourself and ask questions that you have a right to, to have the answers to. Yeah. And so your mom was having such a hard time. Her mental health was seriously challenged with all the things she was going through. And did this stability that this good man that came into her life kind of just, you know, let the sunshine in and she okay now? It was tremendous. It was such a 180. Mom came back. She was never the mom she was when we were little. Like that mom just, she's gone. (laughs) But she wasn't the ghost that she had become because of years of being beaten down in an abusive relationship. So yeah, it was like the sun started to shine on us. Uh, We were in the same school for years, which was awesome. We were in the same house for years, which was awesome. We had two parents in the house. Her boyfriend would tell us, you know, I really love you and I'm proud of you. And those sort of reinforcing statements that kids really need to hear. And we felt secure and special and loved and appreciated in a way that we really needed at just the right time. Whatever happened to your half-siblings? So their mom has tried continuously to connect with us. And I have no idea why we don't have any reason to have a relationship with her. I've learned that she was diagnosed with a form of schizophrenia, which I'm a bit disappointed that my dad didn't have more empathy around because it turns out his mom was also diagnosed with schizophrenia. And so I would have thought that would have equipped him with some tools to deal with that. But the only tool he seemed to have mastered was running away and hiding. My older brother, he's like reinvented himself a lot of times and he did a lot of bad things. I think he was incarcerated at a couple of points, but now he's married. He's got kids. He wants a relationship with me, but I don't want one with him. Like, I feel like that just kind of opens up a chapter in my past that I look at with a lot of sadness. And so 
I just don't need that. And as I had said earlier, the sister lives, I don't know if compound is like a non-PC term to use, but that's what it's always been referred to to me and is very secluded. So I don't have any relationship with either of them or their mom and neither do my full blood brother and sister. And was your dad ever able to rid himself of his drug addiction? Yeah, he did. He got really fat <laughs> Okay. after he stopped using. That's one of the ways we can mark when it happened because he gained a lot of weight. And we didn't know that at the time. We were just like, hey, it's fat dad now. And I remember, you know, that's not a nice thing to say, but kind of like joking about it. And I think that in the years since all of this happened, he has tried to make good with his first two kids. He's been more involved with them. He's tried to help them in ways that he could from 3,000 miles away, both financially and, you know, just in ways that a dad should. I know my brother calls him <laughs> like every day and it drives him crazy, hmm. but he picks that phone up and he talks to him. Okay. So I think he's he's tried to repair some of the damage that he did. And you said you have a relationship with your dad to this day. Have you ever had a chance to sit him down and say, what the hell? Why all the secrecy? You know, why'd you put us through all this? Kind of settle that. My question wasn't so much why long term. It was how. Because until I could understand how a person could live with themselves and do that, it was almost like why was inconsequential. So I do remember sitting on the tailgate of his truck one night when I was about 16 and really having that, um, you know, I don't I hate this phrase that come to Jesus talk. I don't know a better way to say it, but how could you live with yourself? And he said it was really, really hard. And that's why you didn't see me a whole lot because the guilt was shattering and I felt terrible and nothing I did seemed like the right thing. And I thought that was a really understandable answer. None of us are handed a map or a guidebook to life and said, these are the choices that will lead to happiness. That is the truth. Yeah. How often do you see him? I live across the country from my parents, so I actually keep a healthy distance between them and me because they bring a lot of drama and dredge up a lot of emotion that I don't welcome. So every couple years, I detach from them with love. I do it with compassion and I don't blame them for their mistakes or hold any kind of a grudge. I just keep them at a distance because that's where I need them to stay. And how are your little brother and sister doing? Little sister is now also little brother. Okay. Yeah. So he transitioned to male four years ago and it's still really tricky to keep the pronouns straight, but he's much happier living as a male. That's actually something dad has a really hard time with and is really condescending about um, and is a current point of contention in our family is, is he will very antagonistically say, my daughter, who's a female. And I'm like, dad, what difference does it make? If he's happy, just support him. All your kids really want from you is support and love. Okay. And he just doesn't, like, he doesn't have it in him to do it. And how is your other little brother? Okay. So he was doing amazing for a few years. He got married when he was 18 to this 
amazing young woman who was pre-law and had all these goals and she was in college and she was uh, like we were just like how did you land her like she is so above your level dude (laughs) (laughs) it turned out she was marrying him for a green card which Mm. we did not know i guess he knew but um you know he convinced himself that this is love and He's always been kind of a hopeless romantic. I mean, just his whole life, even when he was a little, little kid, he always had a girlfriend. So she, in a very, I think, unkind maneuver, tricked him into marriage, stayed married just long enough to achieve her end goal, and then took an English as a second language teaching position out in Asia and divorced him remotely from there and has no contact with him anymore. Oh, that's terrible. Awful. Yeah, and it I mean he was doing so well and was so stable for so long under this relationship with what we had come to believe was this amazing wonderful girl and she just pulled the wool over all of our eyes so cleverly. Um, so he struggled in the last couple of years. He'll go through a period of stability and he was actually diagnosed with severe bipolar type one. When he starts feeling good, he likes to go off of his medication and he'll drop off the earth for a few days. And typically we get a call from jail to come pick him up because he's been picked up again. That has been the roller coaster he's been riding for the last few years. And we're just really trying to help him stabilize in a long term situation that he can manage that feels good for him, but that doesn't require him to constantly be saved. Well, I'm sure he's very lucky to have you looking out for him. I know you're doing all you can. We try. I mean, when somebody's 35 years old and self-destructs like that, there's only so much you can do. Well, I wish him the best. Thank you. Yeah, we do. We do. Well, Caroline, thank you so much for laying out this tremendous saga. What a story. It's my pleasure, Ben. You know, the podcast has been there for me in times when I've been feeling low. And I hope that by sharing some of the crazy stories that I've endured and coming out the other side is what I think is a relatively healthy, stable and good person, I hope, um, you know, gives someone else who might be struggling a, a bit of hope as well. As you said, it's a story of resilience. And as I see it, a magnificent one at that. Thank you so much. Caroline suffered such trauma as a neglected kid, but to also stumble across Dad's secret family, that's a lot. And it didn't occur to me until Caroline told me later that remarkably, she was the other family, because her family's existence was known by those in her father's secret life. Thankfully, Caroline's mom came into a relationship with a good man who provided stability, and though he might not deserve it, the flashes of love young Caroline caught from her bio dad earned him a place in her life to this day. Not everyone would be capable of such grace. It's a testament to the strength and fortitude Caroline developed as a kid and that she exhibits to this day. And if you'd like a peek behind the words, Caroline shared pictures of herself, her mom, and her brother. They're waiting for you now on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Handle at Secret Room Pod. Next week on The Secret Room Unlocked, you'll hear the tale of when Ellie was just 18. She whisked off to the UK to meet the bass player of her favorite band and spent her life savings without telling a soul what happened. So I was waiting for a while and I start messaging and I'm like, I'm calling you, but it's really expensive. This is where I'm sitting. 
please tell me what to do. Join me for Ellie's wild ride. That's Susie Lark. The Secret Room Unlocked is a special place where fans gather to support The Secret Room and get extra content. Sometimes it's follow-ups on the show you just heard with extra details and behind-the-scenes action. Other times, it's extra interviews you won't hear on this show. Everyone's welcome. Join us on patreon.com slash secret room. Do you have a timorous secret to share? Don't be scared. We'll be gentle. Send it to your favorite indie podcast that could through our website, secretroompod.com. And while you're there, check out all our sponsor offers. They're waiting for you too. Thanks to Susie Lark, Luna Patel, Alessandro Nigro, and Marco. Our music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. See you again in two weeks. Okay, let me text you the tagline. Oh, I don't need you to tell me. I know. I know what to say. Okay, great. Go for it. This is The Secret Room, a podcast about the stories no one ever tells. I'm Ben Ham. And then to wrap the show, we have this little phrase where I... I'm ready. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> well, let's wrap the show. Heck yeah, we should. Pot on, Caroline. Pot on, Ben. Oops. Oh, we went at the same time. We can do it again. <laughs> All right. Pot on, Caroline. Pot on, Ben. Ha, ha, ha.